When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Ah, welcome back to Hurt Tell. Thank you so much for giving us the most precious thing you have, your time, as we do what we always try to do, turn down the noise of the news cycle, get to the information we need to discern the times we live in a little bit better, skip the caterwauling, skip the nonsense. We got a lot to cover today. There's a sex abuse scandal in the Coast Guard that has been going on for decades, really, and been covered up for at least the last four years, and now it's out. We're going to talk about that We're going to do Over Yonder News. We're going to span the globe a little bit, find out what's going on overseas. A lot of stories there to cover. Ethan Brown, our good friend from the Sweaty Penguin podcast, has joined us. We're going to talk about the wildfires and climate change and how they are and are not related, especially how they are being covered in the media and how we actually have thousands of years of history on how to prevent and deal with forest fires. No, it's not just Smokey Bear. But first... Um, I want to deal with uh, something that has once again happened. Ohio had an election. They had an election over issue one. I'll send you a link to it. Issue one went down. It was an, a measure to drop the change for the uh, state constitution down to a civil majority from 60%. It failed. That's secondary to this purpose of this story. This was a big turnout for an election of this type. They had over Three million people show up to vote to give you an idea of the midterm elections that were hot and heavy. They had about four million voters. So this is a very good turnout for this type of an election. And of course, the usual suspects immediately started screaming voter fraud. Kevin Kozar, who's a uh, senior fellow at AEI, good guy. By the way, his book on Moonshine, A Global History is absolutely bonkers and fun. Go find that if you're into bootleggers and such, which I am. Uh, I want to, this is a Twitter thread he did on this, but he lays it out so well. I want to read through it. I'm going to condense it a little bit because, again, these were tweets, so there's some stuff involved in it. We're going to link to the whole thing. But Kevin Kozar, how one reporter started a MAGA panic over voting in Ohio yesterday. This would have, of course, uh, been the special election on Tuesday. It began with a video tweet wherein a reporter declared, quote, and the reporter's name was uh, Mike Holden, All ballot scanners are down and not working at Cuyahoga Falls polling location. That's a direct quote. Tozar continues, what was lacking was any contextual facts like this. One polling location out of 34 in one city in one county out of 88 counties. That's maybe 20 voters here had seen their ballots delayed, not canceled, not not counted, delayed. That the town isn't a mega town, that the county's elections are overseen by Republicans. That Ohio's elections are directed by a Republican who campaigned for issue one. That's the issue in stake in this election, which would amend the state constitution, make it tougher for an abortion referendum to pass this autumn. Without this context, it was almost predictable that Twitter influence influencers who have made their brand crying election fraud would leap in. And so it was. Carrie Lake, you remember her failed governor candidate getting ready to run for Senate and make that Arizona race a bigger mess. Just dog ear that one for later. Carrie Lake retweeted the reporter's video to her 1.4 million million followers declaring, quote, looks like they took a page out of the Maricopa County selections playbook. Selections is in quotes there. The whole thing should be in quotes because it's nonsense. It's been litigated. It did not happen. 
Continuing with Kevin Kozar, she made it sound like as if the machine issue was widespread. Quote, today is election day in Ohio and the machines don't work. And he quotes her tweet, puts it up here. OAN, that garbage news network, repeated her Maricopa line and added that, quote, something fishy was going on in Cuyahoga Falls. And he links to this piece of video. Bridget Gabriel, one of the worst faith actors on the Twitter.com, X.com, whatever it is this week. Bridget Gabriel told her 909,000 followers, quote, wow, all caps, of course, ballot scanners in Cuyahoga Falls have not been working for their special election today. Wasn't true. 20 ballots for a brief moment, and they fixed it. Kozar continues, Sir Rickster told his 30,000 followers the same, and it's another quote, and I'm going to read this tweet because listen to how he phrased it. All ballot machines are down and not working at Cuyahoga Falls. Ballots are being placed in orange bags and scanned later. Democrats have no end to their fraud elections. Always something with their machines. That's the quote from that. Back to Kozar. Hank, whose bio says he's seeking truth, this is another quote, shared the video with his followers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's other examples. The panic was on. The reporter's initial tweet got 2.1 million views and who knows how many cut pace reposts plus the coverage on AON, A-O-A-N, when they do things right, I'll pronounce it right. The reporter's tweet mostly was spread by and to MAGA folks. By the way, let's pause right here. There is a back channel to this stuff, folks. Some of it they naturally grow to, but a lot of this stuff, they'll start sending each other like, hey, make sure you boost this and that sort of thing. You can see back channels on social media if you really pay attention to them. This is clearly a back channel. There's pictures here that he put of the ballots and of the screens. Even this morning after issue, this is Kozar again, got voted down hard. There are MAGA folks resharing the reporter's tweet. Uh, Emerald Robinson, who actually got fired from one of these networks because she was so depictable. The voting machines have stopped working just in time to help the Democrats. This is, of course, nonsense also. Back to Kozar. The job of a reporter is to report the sake of helping the public understand what is going on, unless you're going for clicks, which is what most of these folks are doing. Failing to report all the facts led to a lot of misunderstanding and inflamed simmering suspicions amongst a portion of the public, and that's not good. I hope this reporter learned the right lessons, and I hope other reporters will also learn the job they do as a public trust. Voters need journalists, but we depend on you to give us the full story. I agree with everything Kevin said except that last part. They know good and well what they're doing here because they keep doing it. They did it the last election. They did it this election. They're going to do it in the next election. If they're going to be bad faith actors not reporting accurately, we need to quit calling them reporters and start calling them the propagandists they are. That's what they do. We have a lot of reporters on this program. We're kind of careful about which reporters we get on this program because we want people who actually know what they're talking about. It doesn't matter if we agree or disagree on everything with them or what they telling us the truth as they know it and the facts on the ground. We can argue and discuss and hash out the disagreements. There's no arguing or discussing or hashing out a disagreement with these folks because they're starting out from a place of propagating lies. And the worst part of this is if you actually care about election integrity, which I do, which most Americans do, this makes the problem worse, not better, because you're crying wolf over and over and over again. And when we actually have an election problem and some actual election fraud, it's going to be really hard to get people to pay attention to it because you've been running around with your hair on fire claiming everything's a fraud when it wasn't. Election integrity is an all-the-time thing, not a cherry-pick thing for your favorite candidate. Have some integrity, keep your bearing, and make the system better by paying attention all the time and not giving oxygen and air to these bad faith actors like this reporter and these people who do this stuff on purpose. We're going to hear a ton of this going into 2024, mostly because as long as Trump's in the race, we're going to relitigate 2020. And like Carrie Lake, we just mentioned, she's going to run again, so she's going to relitigate her loss. And on and on and on and on it goes, because there's money involved in it, and there's prestige and power involved in it. And we need to stand up as a people and say, enough. Stop. More Hurtel right after this. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Going back to her tell, this is unacceptable, this story we're going to cover here. And it should be more unacceptable because it keeps happening. And we keep finding this out. There is no excuse for this to be going on in this day and age. And yet it keeps happening. In this particular case, it's yet another uniform service of the United States of America with a secret investigation of sexual assaults that has been buried, covered up and not handled correctly. How many times we got to do this? These things, things like sexual assaults, things like abuse, things like people getting harmed. They occur within power structures, like the military, like the government. It can even be inside of a home. We've seen it inside of churches and religious organizations. The power structures create the environment for bad people to do really bad things. And then other people end up doing bad things, sometimes unintentionally and sometimes maliciously, because they get wrapped up in protecting the power structure or their own position or the service, or the church, or the family, or in this case, the Coast Guard, or the country. There's always an excuse, and it all goes back to these power structures. But let's go to CNN. Uh, The former Coast Guard head, the headline reads, covered up secret investigations into sexual assaults at the Coast Guard Academy. The Academy. This is where people are supposed to be melded and formed and educated to become the next leaders of the Coast Guard, a very important service that this country has. CNN. We'll link to the whole piece. I'm going to read part of it. The then leader of the U.S. Coast Guard covered up an explosive investigation four years ago into rapes and sexual assaults at the agency's academy despite prior plans by top officials to come clean about the inquiry, a CNN investigation found. Commander Carl Schultz took charge of the agency in June of 2018 as the secret investigation dubbed Operation Fouled Anchor was concluding. The inquiry revealed a dark history of sexual misconduct at the prestigious academy, substantiating dozens of rapes and assaults from the late 80s to the 2006. Let me read that again. Substantiating dozens of rapes and assaults from the late 80s through 2006. This is 2023. This has been buried for four years. Stuff that happened 15 to 10 years ago. Back to CNN, the probe, the existence of which was first reported on CNN in late June, was found that the Academy's leadership had been more concerned about the school's reputation than the victim's well-being. What do we say? Power structures, right? There's always an excuse. While the report's findings were not flattering, internal records reviewed by CNN show that people involved with the investigation had made plans to brief Congress, which, by the way, has oversight, and officials at the Department of Homeland Security, which the Coast Guard is under, which has direct oversight of the Coast Guard. One internal memo shows the investigators believe fouled anchors findings should be, quote, required reading for the current and future academy leadership teams. Darn right it should be. Another detailed plan for Department of Homeland Security to be briefed in October of 2018 with a, quote, Hill brief to follow a few weeks later. That's a briefing for staffers and congressmen and or senators that, hey, this is what we plan to testify on when we are called before you to testify for oversight. Schultz's predecessor, Admiral Paul Zunkriff, said in an exclusive interview that in addition to briefing Congress and DHS, he planned to issue a public apology to the victims. The investigation had already identified, but he retired before the probe was over. He said he briefed Schultz on the matter, quote, I'm a big believer that bad news, like dead fish, doesn't get better with time. But Schultz, under Schultz, none of that happened. Now lawmakers are demanding to know why. So am I. Internal records and interviews with those involved in the investigation show that Schultz and his second-in-command, Admiral Charles Ray, failed to act on plans to share the findings with Congress and the public and maintained a veil of secrecy around the investigation. At the time, the agency was embroiled in controversy surrounding the Academy's treatment of minorities and was lobbying Congress for funding. In June, June of 2018, Senator Maria Cantwell of Washington State, chairman of the Senate Commerce Committee, and Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin sent a letter to the Coast Guard saying that the committee was concerned about the Coast Guard's future to disclose the investigation, the withholding of which some has been described as intentional. There's a break in that quote, by the way. The senators argued for some level of disclosure was required by law. It is, by the way. By keeping the investigation secret, 
the Coast Guard avoided further scrutiny on how alleged rapists and other attackers were not held accountable at the Academy. In the wake of CNN's reporting and the congressional outrage that followed, other alleged victims began reaching out to CNN and congressional office, saying they too were assaulted as cadets at the Academy, but were not included in the foul-anchored investigation. The victims, some of who attended as recently as a few years ago, said their alleged assaults drastically altered their mental health, personal relationships, and career, and while some of their attackers went on to have impressive careers in the Coast Guard and other military agencies. During the course of the probe, Coast Guard leaders guarded its secrecy to the point that officials with access, access to case materials had to sign non-disclosure agreements. Folks, don't sign non-disclosure agreements for anything that needs to be disclosed. Records show. It wasn't until CNN started asking questions about fouled anchors several months ago the Coast Guard leaders officially briefed Congress on the scope of the scandal. Four years they waited to do that. Senator Richard Blumenthal, Democrat from Connecticut, where the Academy is based, characterized the suppression report as, quote, probably the most shameful, disgraceful incident of cover-up of sexual assault I've ever seen in the United States military ever. A congressional aide familiar with the probe said it seems Schultz and Ray made a political calculation to withhold the information, quote, they knew. They read it. They signed off on it, the aide said, continuing the quote. It seems like the most logical reason is that they didn't want to have a controversy under their leadership. Neither Chad Wolf, the acting secretary of the Homeland Security at the time, nor his then-deputy Ken Cuccinelli recalled being briefed on the investigation, according to people familiar with the matter. Multiple sources said leadership at the agency would have expected to be briefed given the gravity of the scope. The Department of Homeland Security declined to comment, as did Schultz and Ray, who referred it to the Coast Guard. There's a lot more here. You can read the more of it. Um, the current commandant talks about it. Um, her quote is, quote, just like a ship when it has rust, we've got pockets of rust that need to be eliminated from the organization. Sounds like there's a lot more of that. Um, this keeps happening in our armed forces and it keeps happening in our government and it keeps happening in our companies and it keeps happening in our churches and our civic organizations and it keeps happening in families. Anywhere there is a power structure that does not have an accountability and integrity and openness to what's going on, these sorts of things start happening. People get abused, people get hurt, lives get destroyed. And then it gets excused off for the greater good of whatever the power structure that currently exists is. All these stories have that same common thread. Bad people using a power structure to do bad things. Sexual assault in the military, sexual assault in families, sexual assault in churches and in organizations. It all comes to this same thing. You can argue partisan politics and ideology and all that stuff, but that's really the JV of trying to understand why things like this happen. The power structure is where this stuff happens. And there's something very rotten in our military and uniformed services like the Coast Guard and other things and police organizations and government organizations and everything else I just mentioned. When you have power structures, you're going to have abuse like this. And anything other than disclosure and prosecution is the first couple steps down the road to excusing and letting folks get away with it for the good of the power structure. We're going to link to this piece. It is, again, a sad note against the uniformed services of the United States because it keeps happening. It's going to keep happening until we make a decision as a people to make our leaders stop it. More hotel right after this. Welcome back to Heard Tell. Okay, we've started doing this. You folks have said you liked it, so we're going to keep doing it. We're going to do a little around the world. We're going to check out headlines from places around the world, over yonder, see what's going on. This is Over Yonder News. Let's do it. From wherever you are to way over there, this is news from over yonder, China. Big trouble in big China, main China. The Chinese economy has got a little bit of a problem on their hands. Quoting from the New York Times here, it's been nearly eight months since China's top leader, Xi Jinping, detestable 
dictator that he is. That's me, not the New York Times saying that. Back to the New York Times. Relaxed stringent anti-pandemic measures that had paralyzed many parts of the Chinese economy after exhibiting bursts of energy earlier this year. The Chinese economy, the world's second largest, has started to slow. Economic policymakers are under increased pressure to step in to help revive growth, something they have signaled a readiness to do but have not yet carried out in a meaningful way. The Chinese economy is squarely facing the specter of deflation, increasing the urgency of government measures to stimulate the economy and perhaps more importantly, steps to rebuild household and business confidence, said Eswar Prazda, an economic professor at Cornell University and a former China division chief at the IMF. The prospect of sustained deflation only adds to China's difficult problems when geopolitical tensions are driving the United States and other key economic partners like Germany to seek alternatives to China as a primary source of primary goods. A weak appetite for Chinese goods for domestic and foreign buyers alike demonstrated by a steep slide in exports this summer present a challenge for China, said Wang Dan, the chief economist at Hang Seng Bank in China. Low exports are, quote, driven by both slowing demand for the developing world and an effort to diversify supply away from China. Consumer prices were down 0.3% in July from a year earlier. They were pulled down by declining food prices, particularly for pork, a stable of the Chinese diet, and falling car prices, the results of a price war and heavy discounting into the audio, auto industry. That's the New York Times. We've been talking about this. Long-term speaking, this isn't going to be tomorrow. It's not going to be in a couple months. may not even be in a couple years. What China's been doing is they're trying to get rich before they go broke demographically and their economy starts to slow down. We're starting to see the first signs of that. This is going to be a long-term process. Keep an eye on this. This is going to have a lot of geopolitical ramifications. Niger. We talked about Niger and what a mess is going on over there. Let's go to Politico. We've sent a diplomat over there and it did not go well. From Politico, a senior U.S. diplomat said coup leaders in Niger refused to allow her to meet Monday with the West African country's democratically elected president, who has she described as virtual house arrest. Acting Deputy Secretary of State Victoria Newland also described the mutinous officers as unreceptive to the U.S. pressure to return the country to civilian rule. Quote, they were quite firm about how they wanted to proceed and it is not to support the constitution of Niger, Newland told reporters. Characterized conversations as extremely frank and at times quite difficult. She spoke after a two-hour meeting in Niger's capital with some of the leading leaders of the military takeover of a country that has been vital to counterterrorism partner to the United States. Let's pause here real quick. Russia and Wagner are all over this movement. This is very much a proxy thing where Russia is trying to get some influence here. There's, of course, the specter of French colonialism. Russia has stirred up the we all hate France and Westerners and has used that to toehold in here and to prop up these coup folks. There's not a lot of good guys here, but let's understand there's some really bad guys stoking this up as well. Back to Politico. In speaking to junta leaders, Newland said she made it absolutely clear the kinds of support that we will legally have to cut off if democracy is not restored. If the U.S. determines that a democratically elected government has been toppled by unconstitutional means, it has... Federal law requires a cutoff of almost all American assistance, particularly military and legal aid. She said she also stressed U.S. concerns for the welfare of President Mohammed Bazoum, who she said was being detained with his wife and son in meetings with General Masu Salou Baroum. Again, I apologize if I'm missing any of these names. A U.S. trained officer and three of the colonels involved in the takeover, the coup's top leader, former presidential guard head Abdurrahman Takai, said he did meet, did not meet with the Americans, nor would he. By the way, he's styling himself as general now, so he's given himself a promotion on top of toppling the government in Niger. Keep an eye on this thing. There's a couple of the adjacent countries. This thing could boil over quickly. We pull our aid out. They're going to take more Russian aid. You can see where this is going. Keep an eye on Niger. Myanmar. Speaking of military juntas, the one in Myanmar uh, continues to do brutal things without the world paying a whole lot of attention to it. Since they took over the country a while back, uh, they've been doing these what they call anti-terrorism operations. Well, back on April 11th, they did one of these anti-terrorist operations, said they had killed a whole bunch of terrorists and other undesirables and the people that have been protesting. The truth, though, is they didn't. They killed children. 
Let's go to New York Times. Uh, moments after the blast, which shook buildings miles away, a helicopter gunship appeared, shooting methodically at those who remained alive. Dozens of people, many already injured, died trying to crawl to safety. At least 157 people were killed, according to two local groups that have verified the toll over several months. It was the single deadliest attack by the Myanmar military since it seized control from a civilian government in 2021. And a stunning demonstration, they don't said, of how far the junta will go to crush the resistance movement that has been pushed in large swaths of the country. The military acknowledged responsibility for the airstrike after it had happened, announcing on state television they had killed members of the rebel People's Defense Force, who the military called terrorists, active in the northern Sagang region, I think, where resistant groups have a stronghold of records documenting the deaths and injuries from the attack that were previously provided to the Washington Post by a network of local medics, along with more than 100 photos and videos, show at least 25 children among the dead, including babies as young as 10. Survivors said most of the people killed were civilians from the Pauzigai and nearby villages. A spokesman for the Junta did not respond to the Washington Post's comments for the findings. This is how dictatorships and juntas and whatever you want to call work. They crush, they kill, they destroy. There's not a lot we can do to stop this right now, but we can at least bear witness and keep track of what's going on for the victims that are happening. Myanmar, something that isn't going to get better anytime soon. Dog ear it in your news coverage and keep an eye on it. Italy. The migrant crisis in Europe continues this time off the coast of Italy. Let's go to the BBC. A group of four people who survived the disaster told rescuers they were on a boat that had set off from Sfax in Tunisia and sank on its way to Italy. 41 migrants have died in a shipwreck off the Italian island of Lapisudas, survivors told local media. Four survivors, who originally were from the Ivy Coast in Guinea, reached the island on Wednesday. More than 1,800 people have lost their lives so far this year, crossing from North Africa to Europe. The survivors, three men and a woman, told rescuers they were on a boat carrying 45 people, including three children. They said the boat, which was about 20 feet long, 7 meters, left Thursday last week, but sank within hours after being hit by a big wave. Only 15 people are understood to have been wearing life vests. They added that they're rescued by a cargo ship and then transferred to an Italian Coast Guard vessel. The Italian Coast Guard reported two shipwrecks in the area on Sunday, but it is not clear if either of those was that vessel. Tunisian authorities in Sfax, a port city about 80 miles from the island in Italy, is a popular gateway for migrants seeking safety and a better life in Europe. In recent days, Italian patrol boats and charity groups have rescued another 2,000 people who are trying to get to Lapidescua. Folks, this is getting worse. It's not getting better, and nobody has a good answer for it. Keep an eye on the migrant crisis over in Europe. Hawaii. All right, technically it's over there, but it is America. This is Hawaii. A apocalyptic amount of video coming out of the Big Island of Maui. Uh, this is CNN. Wildfires rage out of control in Maui that are so catastrophic, Hawaiians are hurtling themselves in the ocean to escape the flames. Even emergency responders might not be able to help as the infernos, fueled in part by Hurricane Dora, which is passing by, have cut off 9-11 services and communications in Maui. Our hospital system in Maui, they are overburdened with burn patients, people suffering from inhalation, said a doctor. The disaster has also wiped out power to 14,000 homes and businesses. The video of this is amazing. We're going to post the link to all these stories, including this one on CNN. You just got to see the picture and video to believe it. Uh, Lahiane has been devastated, Hansen told CNN. People jumping into the ocean to escape the flames, being rescued by the Coast Guard. All boat owners are being asked to rescue people. It's apocalyptic. A dozen people were rescued near the island. Entering the ocean due to smoke and fire conditions, individuals were transported by the Coast Guard to safe areas. It is not clear where the disaster will be headed next. Erratic winds, changing terrain, steep slopes, and dropping humidity, and the direction and location of the fire continue to make it difficult to predict path and speed of the wildfire. This fire can be a mile or more from your house, but in a minute or two, it'll be on your house. Take caution, get away from it. Burning airborne materials can also light fires a great distance away from the main body. A wall of flames destroyed businesses down Front Street. Buildings on both sides were engulfed. There was no fire trucks. I think the fire department was overwhelmed and couldn't get to it. And these are some of the most important business streets on Maui. This is horrific. Go look at it. Keep an eye on it. Be ready if you're able when we find out, figure out if there's any way to do uh, when aid and things like that start happening for these folks in Maui. Absolutely horrible. Pakistan. We talked last time we did over the yonder news about 
Uh, Pakistan, well, things have gotten even funkier over there. This is deteriorating quickly. Uh, we talked about Imran Khan had been arrested previously. Now he's been convicted. And part of that conviction is they're going to rearrest him and he's banned from politics for five years. The uh, country is talking about dissolving parliament, which will lead to a general election. Uh, this is getting very, very unstable. And again, Pakistan is an important country for a lot of reasons. They've got deep ties geopolitically to Russia, Turkey, the Middle East. They have nukes. Of course, they border Afghanistan and our 20 years of mess we've got going on there. The Taliban is active. Al-Qaeda is active there. This is a boiling pot of mess that could get bad in a big old hurry. Now they're going to call for new elections. The military is the ruling power, but there is real questions about how much power they're really welding right at the moment. Keep an eye on Pakistan. All right, South America, a country that, when you look at the picture, looks like a paradise, but is a big old hot mess right now. Um, Ecuador has a lot of problems going on. Now they're leading into a governmental election. Uh, Let's go to Al Jazeera here. A surge in violence, particularly in Ecuador's prison system, is high among voters' concerns heading to the polls. In late July, the government declared a state of emergency after dozens of people were killed in prison riots in Guadiapol. Much of the prison violence in Ecuador over the past years has been linked to groups vying for control of the drug trafficking routes. Authorities have said, quote, these elections are unusual due to the backdrop of intense anxiety stemming from organized crime, said Santiago Cadiquiza. Again, if I mispronounce these, I'm sorry. I'm doing my best. A political scientist at the International SEK University, highlighting the insecurity in the country around 30 candidates, including six of the eight presidential candidates, are under police protection. The assassination of Augustine Entregel, mayor of the city of Manto on Ecuador's Pacific Coast province of Manabi. By the way, that's a big expat city. A lot of foreign nationals live there. Last month further raised tension. As a result, security has been a main focus of all the presidential contenders' campaign. Their varied proposals include building a maximum security prison in the Amazon, deploying signal jammers in prison, better equipping police and soldiers, and imposing higher, harsher penalties on criminals. Quote, this wave of violence provides the ideal breeding ground for security order in and populism. Most candidates are endorsing a hardline strategy as a sole solution, says security expert Carla Alvarez. Keep an eye on this. The president uh, that had came into power promising a lot of jobs failed to provide those jobs. Um, The economy is having a really rough time. That's fueling a lot of this other stuff. You put violence on top of it. Bad times down in a beautiful country of Ecuador. Keep an eye as they go to the polls. This is news from over yonder. And that is news from over yonder. We love to keep a global focus and still understand that a lot of the problems in other countries, there's universal principles to this stuff. It's why we do what we do in turning down the noise in the news cycle. If you get all head up on domestic headlines and elections and politics and viral stuff, you miss what's going on in the rest of the world and understand a lot of these problems have applicable lessons and teachable moments for all of us. Plus, it's just good to be a better informed citizen of the world. More Hertel right after this. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. 
I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. Welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, we didn't start the fire, literally in this case. No, I'm not talking about the Billy Joel song. We're talking about wildfires, Canadian and otherwise. Let's bring in one of our environmental friends. He does great work on a thing called the Sweaty Penguin. We'll tell you more about later. You've heard it advertised right here on Herd Tell. Happy to help him out. Ethan Brown, back on the program. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Love having you. You're writing at the Hartford Courant because our poor folks up in New England are having a time with this Canadian wildfire stuff. Full disclosure here. I grew up in West Virginia, okay? If anybody's ever seen any kind of picture of West Virginia, it's all mountains and forests with very few exceptions except for some of the river valleys and like Dolly Sods where it's just rocks. Forest fires and wildfires are not a concept. They are an existential threat that you deal with twice a year at a minimum every year. I grew up around this stuff. I was a volunteer firefighter. I took my wildland course out in Los, you know, out in uh, Little Rock. Okay, I've done my wildfires. People don't understand wildfire. That's not hoses and buildings. That's chainsaws and shovels and a lot of grunt work. We have known for a long time in human history, once a wildfire gets going, there's very little you can do about it. The key to this thing is prevention, and then you can try to contain it a little bit. That's why they advertise it. The wildfire is 60% contained. It's 2,000 burned acres and 75%. There, that terminology has purpose, and it all goes to the two things. You either prevent it or you're stuck trying to contain it, and that's the heart of what you were trying to write about in the Hartford Corn. Turn down the noise on this news about wildfires a little bit. Yeah, I, I think the reason I wanted to write this piece is because I grew up in Connecticut. That was why I pitched to Hartford Current, and uh, my friends and family out there had not experienced wildfires. Um, I have lived in California for about two years now, so I haven't experienced ex- it extensively, but between being here for a little bit, plus my climate expertise, I knew something, and I wanted to share that even though climate change is worsening wildfires and humans have worsened wildfires through other means as well, there are solutions. There are very logical preventative measures that we can take that we are not taking for various reasons. And if we can communicate those things and do those things, that can improve the issue even as climate change may worsen it. Yeah, Ethan Brown joining us. Here's where we got to talk about this in a grown folk manner because I look, I I I would call myself a conservationist. I very much look, I grew up in the woods. I love the woods. I don't like woods getting tore down. I love the nature. I've traveled all over the world. I'm a conservationist. I want things protected. However, again, I got a little bit of a background in this, and I grew up in an area where wildfires are a big problem. If you don't do preventative maintenance, and I know it scares people to talk about things like controlled burns, like clearing underbrush, which you need to do, clearing old growth that is already dead, that's serving no purpose other than being a bomb waiting to go off. Those are things that humans have been doing for a long, long time. There is very good science to those things. They didn't just come up with them. How do we communicate that to people who are honestly, well, I don't want to start a fire. I want to conserve this space. This is a national park, state park, preserve area, whatever. They can have an honest question of why are we doing this? How do we communicate that this is actually good for the environment to be doing these things in the long run? Because big forest fire, bad, controlled burns and clearing underbrush, it's not the best thing in the world in your point of view if you're an environmentalist, but it's a lot better than the alternative. Exactly. When you clear out that that brush, when you clear out uh, trees via controlled burns or via timber harvesting, which can also make you some money, uh, those are a variety of different solutions that can really help. And that, that's actually something that is especially important with climate change. As climate change dries out forests and makes trees more vulnerable to pests and diseases, getting all that gunk out 
is is especially important because otherwise it's even drier than it would have been before and then it's just uh basically a tinderbox waiting to light on fire so those are really important strategies i tried to take a step in that direction by writing this piece and getting it out there and coming on here but i am by no means the biggest expert on it i hope that uh, others can try to communicate this too and communicate it from that solutions lens of we can improve this issue, trying to instill hope in people and just making them see why solutions like these can be really valuable. Yeah, Ethan Brown, I always talk to you about this because, again, people debate climate change to various degrees. You're further down the road on it than I am, but we can talk about it. How do we have that conversation? Because you mentioned it in your piece. One of the things with wildland fires is 85% of them are man-made. There's really no version when you boil it down that those are people that are not taking care of their environment. They're not being the old Smokey Bear ads. Only you can prevent forest fires. Well, there's a reason most forest fires are caused by humans doing really dumb or negligent things. That's environmental, too. It's not just this pie-in-the-sky doomsday clock. This is the practical place where even people that have an honest debate about climate change, we should be able to meet in the middle. And then when you get to something like the Canadian forest fires, and you mentioned the stats in there, how many people believe or don't believe climate change has a role in that, we can kind of not sidestep that argument, but can't we meet on the fact that, okay, humans cause a bunch of these fires and humans can do a lot to prevent them? Maybe start there instead of with the doomsday stuff or the same old arguments we're already having and see if we can gain a little ground here. Yeah, there's a difference between what causes a fire and what can make a fire worsen. Climate change alone does not cause a wildfire to happen. It's not like, oh, it's a 110 degree day, a tree spontaneously ignites. Uh, it has to come from something. And often that can be lightning strikes. But the statistic I found was that 85% of them were due to just human stupidity, things like leaving cigarettes or leaving campfires unattended, or uh, there were so many stories of gender reveal parties causing fires or people not wiring their hot tub right or using their lawnmower when they weren't supposed to. So these are all things that if we just educate ourselves and know not to do these things when we're around a forest, which I'd assume if you're around a forest, you probably are a fan of nature and care about that forest, then we can improve this issue tremendously. What climate change then does is once the fire is started, if the forest is already drier, hotter, more disease-ridden, more pest-ridden, that can lead a fire to spread more easily and to worsen. So again, we have that from climate change, but that kicks in after we've already done something stupid to cause a fire. Ethan Brown, I ask you this almost every time you're on because I think this is an important part to keep harping on because I don't think the news media, and frankly, I don't think a lot of advocates on both sides of this issue do a real good job of communicating this. This thing like the wildland fires and the forest fires, this is practical environmentalism. This is practical stuff we can do. You mentioned it at the end of your piece. You know, This is something that locally you can do. You can contact your local, you know, Division of Natural Resources or DHR or whatever is controlling these things. I know at Fayette County, where I write a local column back home, we just lost a wildland forest fire uh, fighter this summer who lost his life fighting a wildland fire that was man-made. And that man got charged with murder for it, which he should have. This is practical stuff in your community. This is base-level stuff. You can do this stuff. This isn't something you should just be shouting about in social media. You should be asking your local officials and your elected officials like, hey, what's our plan for forest fire season? Because there's a season to this. What's our plan for flooding or any of these other things? Talk about practical environmentalism because we never talk about that. We just scream the buzzwords at each other. Yeah, sure. I think this is a good example, like you say, where uh, communities can have a big impact in their own community. I think sometimes climate change feels so global, but it very much is a local issue, as is any other environmental issue. One thing I explored in the piece a bit, which I wasn't, I've grown more familiar with over the last few months, is the issue of permitting and permitting reform and how often 
environmental permitting procedures can block wildfire management just because it takes so long to go through the process. And by the time a forest management project gets through the process, there's already been another fire. Um, So there are things like that that are just common sense. Why is this taking so long? Why do we have to go through this process? Um, Certainly, it's important to know that a project helps the environment, but that process shouldn't be hurting the environment. So there, again, there's a number of things when we get into the politics as to how we can uh, accelerate this sort of forest management. But certainly, like you said, it, it is a community thing. It is something we can roll our sleeves up and get done together. Yeah, Ethan Brown. Tell people about Fuzzy Penguin because you attack this stuff with a lot of humor. You go at it from a very different angle than I've found anybody else's. It's one of the reasons we keep having you on on these issues. We're going to link to the piece in the Hartford Current. You can look that up as well. Make sure you read that. That'll be on the Substack notes. Let folks know where they can find what you're doing and explain it to folks because I really enjoy it and I think they will too, especially people that have skepticism or have kind of got, let's just be honest, you get burnt out with people just screaming doomsday at you all the time. Talk to those folks about checking out Sweaty Penguin and hearing you out. Yeah, the Sweaty Penguin is an award-winning comedy climate program uh, presented by PBS's National Climate Initiative, Peril and Promise. And our goal is to make climate change less overwhelming, less politicized, and more fun. So we kind of go topic by topic, news story by news story. We'll break it down, use some humor, um, also do a lot of focus on solutions and nuance and critical thinking, figuring out human-centric approaches. Um, I think that our approach has been really helpful in kind of bringing down the temperature slightly, bringing down the anxiety a lot, and making people see that even though there are serious issues, there's also a lot of reason to be hopeful and a lot of common ground we can find if we just have these conversations. Yeah, and we're going to keep having you back on to continue to have them. Again, this stuff has a spectrum to it, but it gets presented as Rampart A and Rampart B, and they just throw stuff. Most people are somewhere in the middle there. So I want to keep talking about these things. We'll keep having you on, and you hear about the Sweaty Penguin being advertised right here for a reason. Go check that out. Ethan, appreciate your time, sir. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Always great to be here. Yes, sir. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Herd Tell. On a lighter note, we'll just present this one because I'm not exactly sure to do with it. NBC News. Subway says nearly 10,000 people have offered to legally change their names to Subway to get free sandwiches for life. I don't know about Subway. might do it for Jersey Mike's. Here's the piece. The hunger is real. Subway announced Tuesday nearly 10,000 people said they would legally change their names to Subway to receive free sandwiches for life for the quick serve chain. And that if they did so within 96 hours of the original offers being unveiled last month, one winner will be selected this month, Subway said. In addition to the sandwiches, the winner will receive money to reimburse legal and processing costs to complete the name change. The promotion follows the debut of the chain's first ever offering of freshly sliced meats in the U.S. restaurants, as well as a reboot by the rest of its menu. Subway is also in the process of finding a buyer, most likely a private equity firm, according to multiple media reports. Reuters reported last week that the chain could fetch as much as $9 billion and that any sales would be completed by the end of August. Founded in 1965 and still owned by the founder's family, the Connecticut-based Subway has more than 37,000 restaurants in over 100 countries. Mm, I don't know. I'm more of a Jersey Mike's folks this, these days. I Subway's okay, but it fell off. Remember, at one point, Subway was up to being like the number two fast food chain in America. Got a little stale. Then they did the reboot. At one time, 
in the 2000s. It was the hottest restaurant in the country. They had another gimmick salesperson. Remember Jared of Subway? He's still an FCI Eagleton um, for all his child pornography charges. Hopefully, this promotion works out a little bit better. I still think I'll stick to Jersey Mike's, though. Uh, and that'll do it for this edition of Herd Tell. Wherever you are, you can join us through whatever medium you're listening to. If you're on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, we're even on some podcasts over in India. You folks in India, we see you on the stats. Welcome. Thank you. Drop us a line. We're all over the world and on any podcasting platform you can think of. Make sure you're subscribing and or following or whatever that platform calls it. That helps us keep track of you, lets us know how you're listening to the program. Make sure we can tailor it to get it to you. Heard Tell Show or my name, Andrew Donaldson, on any of those platforms, it'll come right up. But we have a one-stop shop for everything that we do. HerdTell.substack.com. It's completely free. Subscribe. You get everything right into your inbox. Anytime I write, do a media appearance, do a new episode of Heard Tell. We also have Heard Tell specials. We're going to get back to doing the twice on Sunday recap shows. We also have a huge archive, so we're going to have some specials, some best of things like that, and also some of the food writing from Yonder and Home. We're starting to re-up that as well. We got over 600 episodes of Heard Tell in the archive to start porting over. We're going to be working on that. So sign up for the Substack, please. Get you right in your inbox. Never miss anything. Doesn't cost you anything more than a click herdtell.substack.com we sure appreciate it and follow us on social media herdtell show on the twitter for for the fires my personal twitter handle no we're not going to call it x but if you could share us and let folks know that our programs we're checking out we sure would appreciate it so wherever you are across the street or around the world we hope you're well we hope you are well fed we'll talk to you real soon for the next herdtell All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find The Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thesweatypenguin.com.